all status, now I'ma beat y'all back I pull up on the block, in a big Corvette yeah. Riding around the city with a stick all black I'm trying with a stoker, we ain't with Welcome all that Welcome to the Roz Project Overdrive, an extension of the Roz Project Live That airs every Monday and Friday at 11 a.m. Central, 12 p.m. Eastern 9 a.m. Pacific, an audio and video on Facebook Live, Periscope, Twitch, LinkedIn, and YouTube, a conversation about life, entrepreneurship, personal development, family tech, and marketing. And I'm your host, Ivan Temelkoff. And today, I am so excited to be joined by Justin Gorini. Justin, how's it going, man? Hey, man, it's going really well. Thanks so much for having me here. Absolutely, absolutely. And if... if there's people out there that don't know who Justin is. Just kind of give you a little bit of background info. American singer, musician, actor, host, and record producer. In 2002, he was the runner-up for the on the first season of American Idol. In 2015, he began appearing in TV commercials as Little Sweet, a character used to advertise the Diet Dr. Pepper soft drink. And nowadays, he's the founder of Profit Under Pressure, a new business venture. So. Justin, you know, first of all, American Idol, before we get to that and what yeah. you're doing today, let's start with young Justin, man. Let's, let's talk <laughs> about young Justin. <laughs> I mean, it's like young Sheldon. Yeah, so young Justin basically was born in Atlanta, Georgia, to uh, a mother who was uh, an anchorwoman on CNN and a father who was a prominent politician who would end up becoming chief of police in Atlanta, Georgia. And so my father's black, my mother is white, and growing up in the South, in I was born in 1978, so it was a very interesting time to be uh, a person of color in the South, wow. and then for my father and my mother to be in a relationship, they, they actually couldn't get married. Would you believe that? At the end of the 70s, they in Georgia, my mother and my father were not allowed to get married. And so that's kind of where I came from, and I grew up, um, uh, in the South and under the very Southern guise of children should be seen and not heard. And yet I was the son of these two very high profile people. Mm-hmm. And so I went to a lot of high profile events and I one of them uh, just happened to be some music involved and my parents recognized that I could sing and they said, okay, where are we going to send this kid to sing? And in Atlanta, there's a very prestigious choir called the Atlanta Boys Choir. Mm -hmm. And so that was where they sent me at four years of age to audition. They let me in. And that really began uh, my singing career and my love of singing. Wow. So, okay. So you you basically spend your entire childhood, you know, around music. And that's fascinating because I think a lot of kids kind of, you know, I don't think necessarily forget their dreams, but they kind of get faded away. So you were very persistent with that at a very, very young age. What was what was the driving factor? Was there a driving factor behind music? Yes. It just came naturally to me. First of all, I really enjoyed it. But I think my, you know, Marvel, they always have origin stories for mm-hmm. the characters, right? And so my version of going and getting, uh, being bit by the radioactive spider and, and becoming Spider-Man like Peter Parker did is I was in 1986, I think it was, the Jackson 5 got back together as adults uh-huh. and they did this big tour called the Victory Tour. And so in Atlanta, there was a stadium called Atlanta Fulton County Stadium where the Braves used to play. They've knocked it down and put up Turner Field now. Now the Braves don't even play there anymore. And so I mean, it's just long ago was and like and so atlanta turner uh, atlanta um 
whatever it was, a municipal county stadium was mm-hmm. there, and that was where the Jacksons performed. And my dad at the time was a major and, and a uh, uh, commanding officer, and that was his zone. And so he ran the security for it. And also he was a member of Naris, and he was in the music scene anyway. Mm-hmm. But so I remember being in the audience – and the Jackson 5 were up there, and Michael was up there, and Michael was at, I mean, Michael had just released, like, Thriller, right? I mean, it was, yeah. like, it was huge. Or he had just, or he was about to release it, I can't remember. But it was, like, he was at the height of that part of his fame. Yeah. And so, and the other brothers were up there, and it was just, like, the music and the lights and the pounding and the audience and the just the feel of the whole thing. And, like, that was a time when you could sell out stadiums. Yeah. Sell out sta- the only people who can sell out stadiums now. I mean, this is pre-COVID, obviously. And <laughs> the Rolling Stones can barely do it anymore, right? You yeah. two, it's like you have to get Rolling Stones and you two together, along with like you know Green Day, and they can sell out stadiums, right? Yeah. And and so these guys were just doing it because that's what you did back then when you're a big act. And so I was there in that heat and in the passion of all that happening, and I remember so distinctly. Saying to myself, no one else in particular, I pointed to the stage and I said to myself, I want to do that. That's it. Wow. I just remember saying it. I didn't think, oh, I'm I'm going to speak this into existence or all that other BS. Like, I literally was just like, I want to do that. It became so apparently clear. And that was the open, uh, that was the loop that opened. Uh, you know, that was my open loop that, uh, um, the beginning of that for me. And then over the next... I don't know, what was it, 14, 15 years or something like that, I would eventually come around to closing that loop. And we'll talk about that later. But that was really the beginning yeah. of the journey. Wow. So me and you are actually the same age. I just I just found that out. And uh, when you were talking about Thriller, actually, so I was born in Bulgaria. I'm an immigrant. And um, I remember when Thriller came out. I remember yeah. 85, 86, and it was the yes. shit. Yes, yes. It was like everybody was so excited. And I I mean, even now, like everybody remembers yeah, Thriller because the production, the story behind it, it's like, how can you not get energized behind yeah. that? And what's really amazing about what you said is, is that there was something in your heart that spoke to you that day. And you were so determined that you were going to do this no matter what. No matter what, and and you were you were how old were you? I mean, you were what eight, I think, or something like that. Like nineteen eighty six or that. Yeah, yeah, eight, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's insane. Like being so determined at that age, and then you spent the next decade basically bringing that to fruition, right? Yeah, and it was determination just born out of ignorance, really. Like, ignorance of what the the business really is, right? It was that feeling. That feeling that I got when I was watching that, there was something, some energy, if you want to put it that way even, that resonated with me that I was like, oh, I, I can do that. And that was it. I mean, and you know, I didn't know anything about belief. I didn't know anything. It just was something that was like, oh, I, I get that. Yeah. I can do that. I, I want to do that. I wasn't even thinking about money. I wasn't thinking about fame. I was thinking about I want to feel up on that stage like I think they feel. I want people out in the audience to feel about me the way I feel about them. You know, that whole thing. And I was like, but and I, I can. I can do that. Yeah. And it just was that ignorance, you know, of not knowing what it would take. And over the years, 
I would discover musical theater. I would discover, you know, more vocal training. I would discover the the pain that dance is <laughs> for me and yeah. has been, right? Like, you know, what, what, you know, the acting and the craft, that was the, the, the slow evolution. And it's like what people don't recognize, especially, well, really in, in, in the, in the entertainment business, people want microwave success in an industry, <laughs> in an industry that is a crockpot industry. No, I didn't come up so with true. that. I'd love to be able to say that I came up with that <laughs> phrase. A really cool cat uh, that I was listening to on Clubhouse came up yeah. with that. But I'm going to steal it. And I can't remember what his name is. But I will acknowledge that that is not – I didn't come up with that. But it is true. It's so true. People want microwave success in a crockpot industry. And you can say that pretty much about any business. But the entertainment yeah. business, everyone who you see just launch into stardom, I don't care if it's you know uh, Bruno Mars or Beyonce. Let's just take Beyonce, right? Beyonce, that girl was doing it from when she could barely walk. She was at county fairs as a like prepubescent child, walking around on that stage, strutting around. Sasha Fierce hadn't even been born yet. And yet she was she was creating the building blocks for Sasha Fierce. And then when it was her time, you know, when that luck, which, you know, really is just preparation meeting opportunity right. came along she was ready for it and then all of a sudden we know beyonce but we don't see all that slow cooking that went into it oh yeah you're absolutely right justin and and i i mean you're a prime example of that and i think the most unfortunate thing nowadays is that you talked about stardom. I mean, this isn't just in the entertainment space. This is an entrepreneurship. This isn't anything that you determine yourself to become successful in. It is not overnight success. I mean, you were talking about Beyonce. You were talking about Bruno Mars, you know, Jay-Z, anybody really. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys have been grinding and hustling for 20, some even 30 years. I look at JLo and she's just like cranking still. I'm like, ladies, yes. where in the hell you get that energy from? I don't know, but I, I, I mean, I remember watching her as a fly girl on In Living yeah. Color here in America. And I mean, like, it's so funny. And there's another uh, um, woman named Josie who I've met inside of Clubhouse who was also a fly girl. And I'm tell- it's just wild to see that. They went from being, you know, or you look at someone I know well, Paula Abdul. She was a Laker girl. She was just a Laker girl. And and the interesting thing about that, as we will, and we'll talk about it later, is that mm-hmm. there was a sort of, uh, I was telling Paula Abdul about the story I told you about, about the Jacksons. And about, I just, I just knew I wanted to do that. And I saw the dance yeah. and everything. Like She's like, did you know that was my first choreography gig after I got out of the Laker lakers really i was like what i was like this is Oh, that's a gold nugget right there, man. Right? I, I was I like, what? That. I was like, crazy. I was like, you choreographed those? She's like, yeah, I did. I was like, oh, my God. I just love what they did. It's just, and so those little <laughs> confirmations, right? And that'll happen throughout life where you're like, what? Yeah. That's so crazy. Those things happen to me all the time. Just the, uh, the other day, uh, I was going into uh, a supermarket that we – a supermarket, like a convenience store we yeah. have in Pennsylvania called Wawa. And like this guy was like, "Hey, um, 
you know, I, I mean, and dude, this guy, it was 20 years ago. He said, hey, yeah. do you know, you were down in Miami and you were filming something and I was walking on the street and some guy yelled at me, hey, you're walking in the street, we're, we're filming a movie. And I'm like, what movie? And, and, he, and the guy said to him, yeah, it's this, you know, the guys from American Idol it was Kelly and Justin. It was filming from Justin to Kelly at the time. Yeah. And he's like, oh, oh man. He's like, I... I, I'm from the same town that that guy's from, and of course the film guy's like, "Yeah, right, buddy, get get the hell out of here." And yeah. and so he he waited, and then he screamed the name of the town, and I turned my head, and I went over, and I walked to or talked to him, and had this great conversation with him, and. I went on with my life, he went on with his life, and 20 years later, just two days ago, he's like, hey, do you remember that? And I was like, no, I don't remember that, but like, it was, we, we, we connected again in the Wawa, he was working behind the counter in the place that I went to go get something, and he just, he told me, and it's like, he couldn't have made it up because the facts were too, I mean, I don't remember it, but like, because I, my head was so far behind at that point, like, I don't remember, but like, it was so crazy, I'm like, it's so great to like, meet you all over again, so it's those little, little connections that just feel so good, and let you know you're on the right path. Absolutely, you know, absolutely, and I think, you know, speaking to that is, so going back to what you were saying about stardom, and, and I think a lot of people just have that misconception. I think the entertainment space is probably a prime example where they think like, ooh, like he became Jay-Z or Beyonce. Or, and speaking of Paul Abdul, I remember watching her in the 80s, dude. Like, yeah. that was, I was, oh, my God. I remember watching Rhythm Nation, too, with Janet yeah. Jackson. Oh, my God, A yeah. long freaking time ago, yeah. I feel like. And um, so I was actually exposed to a lot of entertainment when I was young because in the 80s and, and back in the day, so it was – until 89 bulgaria was a former communist country so like Mm -hmm. you couldn't really do much you know the only thing you could do is like watch tv and it's like america and superstars a thriller and jackson and paul abdul like i felt i feel like oh and mc hammer you know of course (laughs) too legit to quit man we were were all too legit to quit vanilla ice all those cats yeah and and that was the american dream right that was the height Mm -hmm. i would say of the american dream and and you know you're talking the 80s the height of the cold war too and so i'm and i'm not sure i would assume that coming from a country that could feel as bleak as communism was sold to us anyway who knows i i don't i don't know what your experience was but like the the sort of like gray squat buildings that you know that that communism was sold to as us now of course we have our own propaganda right that we that we have but um yes that how that shiny wealthy just flashy almost magic that was american american uh entertainment you know that could feel and i understand why michael jackson at some points you know he went to like manila and all these other places and he had like an right. army he had that like army jacket bling thing like bling before it was bling right like I he had this the like, shoulder pads yes, the epaulets yes yep. like he was literally he, he would run down the street with the army the yep. local army and yep. like wearing the most ridiculous getup that you'd be <laughs> like summarily shot for if you actually showed up to in a in a roll call, right? right. Like, but like running down the street with his glasses and like it was so interesting because now if you did that, could you could any entertainer be running down the street with a foreign foreign fighting force? No, nope. in that co- I mean it's just abs- it's absurd to think of. Yet yeah. that was 
that was the way it was sold and that was the the sort of machine that american entertainment was back then it really was i mean you nailed it as i think it was you know cross culture you know it, it was and honestly i mean speaking of communism is you know up until the age of nine like we couldn't celebrate the holidays so like when the holidays wow. came around is I mean, I was stuck watching a TV, American entertainment, and that's where yeah. I was exposed to. In fact, for probably even into the 90s or even into the early 2000s, I still remain an 80s kid. Yeah. Like Jackson and, and Paul Abdul and Janet Jackson, just anything, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of Michael Jackson. I don't know. I had of tapes of Jackson that I found not too long ago. Actual tapes. Yes. <laughs> I still had saved of like Thriller and... Like, uh, what was the very popular album? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, it wasn't the, the one that had Thriller, I think, on it. Well, it was Thriller, then there was Off the Wall, then Thriller, then Bad after that, yep. uh, and and then it went on from there. But, yeah, that that Off the Wall was, like, it was good. It had, like, a hit or two in it. But mm -hmm. Thriller was the one that took over the world. And then Bad after that was just like, <sighs> oh, you know, and then that was, and then the 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 allegations started coming after that. Oh and that's my god! When, that's when yes. things got messed up for him. But but yeah, but it's like it's so interesting. And I will say this: this is something for people who are, regardless of what industry you're 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 in. And I was telling somebody this the other night in in a class. I was like, be careful when it comes to fame, when it comes to stardom. Be extremely careful not to take on the role of the savior. How many, and Michael Jackson is the perfect example. How many people felt like they were being saved by him, by his music, by his message? He took on the role of the savior. And guess what happens to any and all saviors throughout history? Yes. Amen. They become crucified. They become crucified. Amen. Jesus being the biggest savior, you know, in the Judeo-Christian world, right? Like, crucified. Michael Jackson, savior, crucified. Crucified on the altar of his own success. Uh, so true, Justin. So true. I so, agree with that more. <laughs> so to wrap that, wrap that up in a little bow, it's like, instead of being a savior, watch out for that. When people start putting you in that role, Cut them off quick and say, I'm not your savior. I'm not your guru. I'm, I'm not your guru. I'm just your mm -hmm. guide. I'm here to guide you. Yeah. you. I'm here to reveal something that is already within you that you have forgotten. I'm not here to save you or to give you something you don't already have. So please don't nail me up to uh, a cross, please. <laughs> Thank that's, you. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great lesson right yeah. there. Great lesson. Love that. Love that. And... You know, so speaking about when you were filming the movie down in Miami and then, you know, you rendezvoused with this guy mm. from 20 years earlier is, you know, as I was reading some some more about your background, which I didn't know this is so uh, you turned down Lion King. Yeah, that's true. You turned down Lion King. Yeah, I had been auditioning. I went to University of the Arts in Philadelphia and studied vocal performance and studied musical mm -hmm. theater. And I was on track probably from the age of 18 or 19 to be on Broadway. I auditioned for The Lion King, and then in auditioning, there's a series of sometimes hoops you have to jump through. Mm -hmm. And so I jumped through all the hoops, and I got to the very last hoop where they're like, should we give him a job or not? And they said, yeah, we want to give you a job, but you're, you know, I, I was a little too young at the time. I was just, I wasn't quite as developed as I could mm -hmm. have been, right? And so they said, look, just keep doing your thing. Keep trying. We're going to find a spot for you. 
just don't worry. And so over the next few years, I guess it was really four years, um, no, two or three years, I auditioned, 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 auditioned at 19, auditioned to 20, auditioned to 21, then auditioned once at 22, and um, didn't really hear anything back. It was always like, maybe, maybe, we don't, don't go anywhere, we'll, we'll find a place for you. And to their credit, mm-hmm. they called me up and they said, when I was in the summer of 2002, early, early summer of 2002, they called me and they're like, hey, we finally have a place for you on Broadway, in the chorus, which is great. As a 20-something-year-old, you know, right. my Broadway debut, that's what it got, oh my God. And if you've ever seen The Lion King, you'll know that the chorus is, like, working. Like, it's great. You're like a gazelle. Yeah. You're a piece of grass. You're like, it's fun. And so I was like, that's really amazing. And I couldn't believe it. I was being offered an opportunity that I had dreamed of for so long. Went to school right. and studied. But I said... Yeah, but you know, there's this thing out in LA that I got too, and I, I might yeah. be cut. I might be cut, um, but I'm gonna fly out to LA. Can I call you back in a week? And they're like, "Yeah, call us back in a week." And so, just to continue this story, yeah, uh, and to get to the point where I actually turned it down, and why I turned down Broadway, it's not because of what you think. I was in LA, never been to California before, never been to the West Coast before. Yeah, at age 22, and in this room with like 126 other kids and um there's this big lawyer standing up front and all these people standing up front telling me that this experience is that i'm about to have over the next few days called hollywood week because nobody knew what the hell that was at the time (laughs) it was designed that this experience is designed to test you to break you we are going to throw this and to their credit they were just like we're gonna we're gonna try and screw you up and you know, good luck, because tomorrow there's going to be half of you here. Yeah, I was like, oh, all right. And so tomorrow came, and at the end of the day, you know, sixty some odd people went home like that. So I was like, all right. And so, and then the rest of those sixty or however many of them there were, um, we just got put through the ringer and like doing stuff. Da, da, da. And so a week or about a week goes by, and it's my time to call. Um, my time to call Broadway and tell him yes or no. And so before I did it, I was mm-hmm. walking down the uh, aisle in the Pasadena Civic Center in um, L.A. And I looked up at the stage. And again, it was one of those moments where I just felt a connection to what it is I was doing in the moment. And I just burst out into tears. And I'm not like a big crier, right? More so since I've had children. But like, I'm not just like a And it's at 22. I mean, like, what? no, not a big cry. And like, it just happened. And I was just like, oh my God, what's going on? What's wrong with me? Right. And I realized that on that stage, in the Motown 50th anniversary, Michael Jackson first did the moonwalk on that stage, revealed it to the world. Whoa! That's crazy. And so many of the people that I loved and I knew and I admired had had tread the boards of that stage. And I said, I gotta I I just have to do this. Now, knowing that I could be cut at any point. I wasn't in the top 30, which is where it started, right? Then it was whittled down to 10, and then those 10 went... I wasn't even in in that zone yet. But I just said, 
I've got to I've got to do this. And so I called up Broadway and I said, "Thank you so very much for the opportunity, but I think I'm going to I'm going to go with this other thing, but please keep me in mind. Please keep me in mind." Wow. And so we'll talk about Idol, but I do just want to kind of fast forward a little bit that I everything happened with American Idol. And 10 years later, I had the opportunity to do my first Broadway show. I've done six Broadway shows since. Yeah. And so I had my opportunity to do my first Broadway show, and the opening night party that we had after our big, my big Broadway debut was held inside the hotel in Times Square, inside the conference room that I sat in and waited to audition for American Idol. So loop after loop after loop after loop just keeps opening and closing and opening and closing and opening and closing and opening and closing. And that loop that started with me looking up and seeing the Jackson 5 doing their things, opening with me saying, I want to do that. That part of the loop then came around and I made a decision at a crossroads because I knew the history of that stage and I knew that that person or the people really but especially michael who i had known and loved did the moonwalk for the very first time something that blew the world away on the same stage that i was getting to sing on and then going through american idol and then on the tour after american idol singing for sold out arenas of thirty thousand people i got to close that little eight-year-old boys loop because I was then up there on the stage doing everything that I wanted to do. I was doing that thing that I had said that I wanted to do. And hopefully there was somebody in the audience that day who looked at not just me, but the other people up there as well Mm -hmm. and said, hey, I want to do that. And maybe I helped open a loop for another person. And who knows who that person will be. And it might not be in entertainment. It might be in some other facet of their life. But that's... I mean, that's yeah. just the ridiculousness of the story and the power that we have when we, when we really truly live our authentic desires and dreams and go after what it is that you know, we, we believe we are worthy to have. You know, I so love that because as you were talking about when you were so young and well, you were uh, 22, I think you said, when you actually had to call Broadway and churn it down, yeah. which you were so you know so excited about the opportunity but then american idol comes around yeah like, you know there's just something here and then you said the 50th anniversary of motown now, that i think was really the thing that kind of got you you know question about your intentions of what you yeah. wanted to do and there was just a greater power that was sort of like pulling you and saying justin yeah. you need to do this this yeah. is really where you're supposed to be here yeah. you know what's so beautiful about what you said too is this when you actually after american idol 10 years later you're doing shows on stages sold out arenas we could actually go to shows yeah sold out arenas is that just in your inspiring you still are to this day inspiring motivating other people who are questionable about their own intentions about yeah. who they want to be as yeah. a person you know, there's a lot of eight-year-olds out there, I guarantee you right now, that are probably looking up to you. Or there were, you know, that were looking yeah. up to you because you literally paved your own path 
And that's what I think nowadays that's so saddening is that, like you said, regardless of what industry you're in, whether you're an entertainer or just you know, an entrepreneur or whatever, you know, then I think a lot of people sort of look for instant gratification. Like they, oh, yeah. overnight success, you know, I'm going to be on that stage. But there was the, the beauty about what you said is that you recognize the importance of this to you. It was important to you. It was important to you. Nobody else. You recognize this is where Michael Jackson first walked the moonwalk. I remember that. I was like, holy shit. Like, yeah. who, do, who does this? Like, shit yeah. the world. Yes. Literally. And then you got to audition on that. Yeah. Like, you were on that stage. And singing and dancing on it. Singing and dancing on it. That, yeah. that is amazing. Like, that's a, you know, once in a lifetime experience. And so you mm. recognize that. So, um, I want to I want to kind of move beyond you know American Idol. So I mean, first of all, congratulations. I mean, your story is fascinating, and mm. I think you are an idol to many out there. You really are because you know I think, like you said, I mean, I think unfortunately most people don't look up to idols until they're like flourish. You know, sure. Like, yeah. You know, at the top, and you're all over the news, and you're all over the TV, and all of that, and people are like, oh, I want to be like him or her. You know, but they don't understand. It's like the Titanic. <laughs> they see the iceberg at the top, mm. but they don't understand what happened underneath. You know, mm -hmm. the grind and the risk and the sacrifice and the uncertainty also that yeah. comes with that. And I'm speaking to this because as an entrepreneur, I've gone through that path. Yes. There's been a lot of hurdles and a lot of hoops to jump. Yeah. But and you have to. You have to. So huh? after American Idol, you know, so you were you were doing, you know, shows, sold out arenas, you know, at, at what point did you so you started your business venture, Profit Under Pressure. Mm -hmm. So at what point did you realize that, OK, like my calling is into something else? Um, I, I don't necessarily see it as my calling and being something else. I feel like it's the evolution Mm -hmm. It's the next sort of thing. I mean, I still, you know, I still play Lil Sweet on the TV. I still <laughs> sing. I still do all those awesome. other things. Yeah, but but I, again, it's like there was something that just said, and it was an experience that I had actually in an audition, mm -hmm. and it was one of those moments of the grind and the hustle where you like many entrepreneurs you put the work in you put the work in you do it and you just like you do you check off all the boxes and it still doesn't work yeah. and there's a path there's a splitting path that goes from there there's i give up i stay the same i don't ugh, oh well or there's the okay what can i learn from this experience how can i expand how can i grow and and even though everyone else says, don't do that again, please don't do that again, we really want to, nah, nah, nah. there's something inside of you that says, I've got, sorry, <laughs> I'm not listening to you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not listening yeah. to you. I know, I know, I know, I know this is right, and I have to just figure it out. Right. And this experience was, I just learned how not to do it, and I got to learn how to do it.
So I good. I, I can check all the boxes. I know how not to do all these things. Now I'm figuring out to do better. So that experience for me was an audition for um, a very, very popular musical where, long story short, I did all the right things. I interviewed people. I learned all the stuff backwards and forwards and upside down again. I went to every single audition that they asked me to go to over the period of like three months you know, of waiting and auditioning and learning right. and, and refining and taking their notes and did all the things, just hoop after hoop after hoop. They told me to go left when they previously told me to go right, and I just did it all, right? I did it because I think that I'm like, they're testing me. Great, I get this. Yeah. I can do this. Right, this is what we do. And at the end of all that, the feedback that I got after I had to bug my agent who had to bug the casting director who had to bug the people who were going to make the decision, waiting for weeks, the, the answer that I got was no. <laughs> and silence. No, period. Not no because we just felt X, Y, Z, da, 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 da. No, you were, you were great, but da, 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 da. there was no, there was nothing that that three months worth of Breaking vocal work and all the other stuff work. There was no lesson. There was no takeaway. Nothing. Right. And so I, I was sat at that fork in the road, and it was either f this whole business, right, right, and chip on my shoulder and be bitter about it, yep. and walk that path, or it's like oh. <laughs> All right. Okay. Right. Huh. I don't ever want to feel this way again. Right. And I recognize that I'm not, you know, uh, top of the charts, but I ain't at the bottom either. And I'm somewhere in between when it comes to, uh, uh, I don't know, stardom or fame or whatever you want to call it, sure. right? And if they can treat me that way, and I know they treat people that are above my pay grade that way too. Yep. But if they can treat me that way, imagine how they treat the people who are anywhere down below my fame meter, whatever that indicator is, right? <laughs> whatever you want to call that. And I said, okay, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want my people to feel this way. I want to feel more powerful. I want to get. I want to. I want to take away the power and wrestle back the power from these people who obviously are abusing it. And I don't mean necessarily just in the Me Too sense. I mean like just like who treat us like cattle to be led off to slaughter or put out to pasture, right? Who just see us as a number. And right. so that began that journey for me. And originally, it was just all about performers and about entertainment. And the more I got into it, the more I saw, wait a minute, this is bigger than that. This is a bigger play. I started with uh, Warrior Artist Alliance, and then that moved to Audition Secrets. I'm talking about the brand mm -hmm. evolution and the message mm -hmm. evolution. And then when COVID hit and devastated our industry, it moved to the Online Audition Academy. Again, over time, continuing to pivot, yeah. continuing to grow grow and expand and to serve my audience and a bigger audience and now it has evolved into profit under pressure because that is what you are doing that is what i am doing in this moment that is what so many entrepreneurs and influencers regardless of what space they're in have to do in order to make money we are the ones yep. 
that are put under the pressure that the majority of the other people and bless them for sitting at a desk and doing what it is that they do. That's great. I'm not knocking it, but it is that kind of pressure as an entrepreneur where we don't have somebody over our shoulder waiting with a cane to hit us if we don't do our job right and and say here's your paycheck or here's not your paycheck. You know, we don't have the security of that kind of torture. Um, you know, that that we profit under pressure and so it's how to deal with that pressure and so i developed you know the core confidence coaching method and it just really gets to the heart of what makes people either crumble or succeed in our line of business and these four key skills and four key areas uh, of your life that if you can really work towards attaining mastery in that area and what do i mean by mastery i mean being able to execute without the use of conscious resources you know it's that thing where you say oh my goodness those comedians are so quick all that that's so good they're so this that and the other and i can't believe that you know football player just made that move they didn't even think about it right it's that it's that mastery that we see exhibited in the people that we hold upon high that is attainable it's attainable by anyone if you mm -hmm. go about it the right way and if you set yourself up for success. And so that's that's what I focus on. Um, yeah, I want to go back to when when you said that they told you no. Yeah. And there's a really key learning lesson here. And I think this is where, like you said, the evolution of profit under pressure really kind of mm. came about. It's because I think at that moment you came to realization, like you said, is this that, well, okay, they give me a hard no. Right. With mm -hmm. no explanation, because when when someone says no, they give you a reason why. Yeah. They can't just tell you no, because yeah. they just woke up and said, well, F that. No, it just like there's no logic behind it. There's literally the logic, the psychology behind it is just not there. And what's yeah. really fascinating about that is, is that when most people hear no, they think that they're doing something wrong. They think that they're at fault. They're not good enough. My, and so what you did from there is this, you evolved and realized no, that's BS. I am who I am. I'm just not a fit for this box right. that they're trying to put me in. Right. And I think that's what most, because as, an, as a singer, as an entertainer, as an actor, you are an entrepreneur in essence because yeah. you're taking risks all the time in hope to bring something to fruition. So Profit Under Pressure evolved from basically being told no, but realizing that, you know what? Everyone has more potential. It's just a matter of finding out what is that real potential and how do we bring that to fruition? And you mm -hmm. talked about the four key areas that you teach the mm -hmm. online uh, audition academy is how people can discover that. Because honestly, I was, I was reading something about psychology and I actually blew my mind away. Is this that most human beings are actually, we're wired towards fear and pessimism believe it or not yeah sure so we immediately we immediately think no we're not good enough we're not capable we're not talented we're not skilled says who what the world society if you listen to the world and society then guess what you would have never made it to american idol you would nope. never started your business you would have never gotten all these opportunities and that's just said proving the rest of the world wrong yeah and that's what the world dislikes, believe it or not, because yeah. it's like the sheep in the herd. It's like everybody wants you to do the same thing they're doing. It's like, great, if you're sitting behind a desk and working your nine to five because I've been there, that's great. Yeah. But you know what? I live only once. 
Who knows when I might die? I might die tomorrow. Who knows? Get run over by a bus or something. Yeah. How do I re- want to remember my life? That I did everything like clockwork or I did what I wanted to. You know, I really, I really fulfilled my potential and I ran with the things that I wanted. I fulfilled my dreams and my goals because I'll tell you this. So speaking of COVID, we actually had a death in the family last year. And honestly, I remember having that last phone call. It was actually my wife's grandfather, who was a very close member of the family. But it's like I remember when I had that last phone call, it's almost like my intuition in my heart was telling me that this is the last time we're going to talk. You know yeah. what I heard in that phone call is regret. Hmm. So much regret in the 70s, you know, and he was a veteran also. Phenomenal individual, phenomenal individual. But he always put family and everyone else in front of himself. Never yeah. himself first. And I know that sounds egocentric, but guess what? When I heard that regret, I'm like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be on my deathbed one day and say, you know what? I want I wanted to do this, but I didn't do it because I was yeah. chicken shit or I listened to everybody else mm-hmm. and what they told me. So this is this is one of the reasons that I think really drew me towards having you on the podcast is because you have a fascinating story. But at the end of the day, most most people don't see the nuance and the actual power of that story because they haven't lived it. And at the end of the day, honestly, you lived it. You paved your own path. That's all that matters. Did you find fulfillment and happiness? You yeah. did yeah. by doing the things that you wanted to do. And like you said, whether you're Beyonce or Jay-Z or just an entrepreneur like J-Lo's husband, you know, like it principally, it's the same. You do what you love. You do what drives you. You do what fulfills you and makes you happy. And I love the name, by the way, Profit Under Pressure, because it's under pressure when we thrive and grow. Yes. So with that being said, you know, first of all, I want to say thank you for your time. Amazing conversation. So much value. But before we sign off on the episode, tell the listeners, viewers, how can they find you? How can they connect with you out there on social, email, website? What's the best way to get connected? Absolutely. Uh, If you want to find out more about Profit Under Pressure, all you have to do is either go to ProfitUnderPressure.com dot com or you can go to www.justing that's justin and then the letter g dot club not dot com dot club club. justin g dot club to connect with me um there about profit under pressure if you want to find out just hey what's the guy with the hair up to for american (laughs) idol uh just any of the socials justin guarini again uh my last name can be challenging to spell as i'm sure you know ivan um the the pain of that um but all you have to do is just google the guy for american idol with the hair and uh, I should come up at the top, at least, of that SEO search. And um, right. that'll be me. Yeah. And you just find me anywhere on Instagram and Facebook. And, and that's that's my jam right now. But it really has been a pleasure to be here with you, Ivan. Thank you very much. You know, what I love is the more I tell my story, the more I discover about myself. And it didn't hit me until this moment that those open and closed and open loops with Michael Jackson and the moonwalk and like at those moments in my life. And so thank you for the opportunity to come here and just discover more about my own story and and discover about what it is that you do and uh, your thoughts. So I really appreciate you, man. Thank you so much, Justin. I appreciate it.
dog status, now I'm a big dog bitch. I pull up on the block in a big Corvette. Yeah, riding around the city with a stick.